rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah! Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. Episode 22, The Rant. Barry Getzoff, a side hustle king, moving his kingdom from New York to sunny Florida. I've been to many, many battles with Barry Getzoff, a great man who officiates basketball and baseball and added a sport that's near and dear to my heart, flag football. We discuss how he got into officiating, his experiences in New York, and how it compares to Florida. My conversation with Barry now. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref, and I have a special Florida edition with my guy, Barry Getzoff. How you doing, man? Doing great, Ralph. Doing great. Enjoying the Sunshine State. So you're in Fort Lauderdale? You're around there? Where are no, you? In? Well, it's a little further north of there. I'm in West Palm Beach. West Palm Beach. Sounds not as not as uh, cold as here. It's going to be six degrees tonight. Um. So just a little bit of background of Barry. Barry has been uh, one of my favorite officials at the Island Garden, as a lot of my guests have come from Island Garden. Um, specifically, I remember we got really close. I'd say it was like three Memorial Days ago. And I didn't really know Barry too well, but I know that day we had a crazy game. And I don't know if you remember it, but it was one of those games where both teams were, of, uh, I guess, varsity stature. They were both 17U and I, I just remember there was this one crazy play where you were in the lead and I was in the trail and the kid dunked on some other kid off of a rebound. And I think his parent came up and said, yeah, he said something really obscene. And then his mom tried to defend the kid that was on the floor. Do you remember that? Vaguely? I do. I do. <laughs> that was crazy. And I just remember I was like... I think Barry's all right. I, he's, he's, not, he's, he's nothing to, to sneeze at. But then I think after I saw you handle that game, it, it definitely I, – I just think that when you ref those type of games, when it's so much intensity and it's so difficult and you do that with somebody, I feel like it just forms an automatic bond. And ever since then, we've been boys and we've done so many funny games. I remember when, uh, I think last April we did that girls game where we were barely going up the court. You remember that? Yep, we've done some interesting games, high-level games. We've done some games with uh, with some interesting coaches like Wallace, who can drive you Michigana. Oh boy, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, and we've done uh, some heat games with Nick. We've done some high-level games, and uh, it's been very enjoyable, without a doubt. That game I remember very well because Memorial Day game was like a championship game from all the AAU games. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, I, I, it might have been on Memorial Day Monday, actually. It was. It was Sunday or Monday. Mm -hmm. I think it was Monday, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I was very flattered that Jim, who I happen to respect immensely from Island Garden. Me too. And miss him, te and miss him terribly. Um, assigned you and I 
that game because he thought a lot of us to assign us that game in the first place. Absolutely. So a little background of Barry. He is a boys basketball official from originally New York. Um, You also did some baseball out here. And now you're gathering and and gandering in flag football, right? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I'm getting into flag football. A guy I work with here, there are several assigners for different things here, very unlike um, Nassau County, Mm -hmm. very different. You have to reach out to a lot of people. One guy does a lot of sports, one of them being flag football, that he gets very involved in, which is a very big sport down here. And, uh, yes, I'm getting involved in that, without a doubt. And we'll get into all of that. But first, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into sports? What was your bread and butter growing up? Was it basketball? Was it baseball? Was it tennis? Actually, all three. Um, Tennis was always a love of mine, playing as a kid. And uh, I hadn't played for many years. Um, Probably haven't played for the last eight to ten years. Mm -hmm. I haven't had the time. And coming down here to the place I'm living at, was a big reason why it chose this place because of their tennis program. Um, in terms of what I grew up playing besides that, always more more than baseball, it was basketball. I was a basketball junkie. Um, I played it always. I was never good enough to make the high school team, but I had a basket growing up in front of my house. And I had an older brother who was uh, six foot one. So he's three years older and taller. So it made me learn how to take an outside shot and be quicker than him. Um, and we would go out all the time and play basketball in the driveway. Put out, we put out these strobe lights, on, which we lived in the second floor of a two-story home. We put out these little strobe lights so we could play night basketball. So we play all the time. People come over, have pickup games. And I just had a love for playing the game of basketball from that moment on. What about baseball? Did you play a lot of baseball growing up? Baseball, more, you know, it's funny, more more uh, softball leagues. Mm. I played in a lot, lot of softball leagues. I played some organized baseball when I was little in Little League, but not like these kids do now with travel leagues. They didn't have them back then anyway. So I probably played um, some baseball, but a lot more uh, organized softball. Every day after school in the nice weather, we meet at this place called East School Long Beach, and we choose up sides. That's how we did things in those days. There weren't as many leagues. We meet there. How many we got? How many we got? Let's choose up sides, and we play every day. Now, you are a longtime resident of uh, Long Beach, New York, which is, uh, it seems like it's, a, it's its own commonwealth when it comes to Long Island. Did you get thrusted into the boogie board surfing scene at all? Not even close. I'm not even I'm not even a good swimmer, Ralph. Oh man. Um, so yeah, I really never learned how to swim that well. So I love the water going in, but I'm very limited in terms of what I can do in it. So surfing, no. Going to the beach and being on the water, I love it. Okay, and that's probably why you're at West Palm Beach because you want to feel that eternally now. <laughs> well, uh, it's a community that works for us. We're about. Um, 25 miles west of the beaches here, okay. um, which are beautiful here. But it's about 25 minutes to get to the beaches here, which is fine. Uh, same thing from Plainview to Long Beach, so it's probably a similar commute. Very similar, very similar, very similar. Okay, so speaking of drowning, uh, when you first start officiating, um, it's normally a sink or swim situation. How did you even think about or get into officiating, and what sports did you start off with? And tell us about your origins doing so. 
I'll be glad to tell you everything. Having done officiating now for about eight years in baseball and six years in basketball, I have one regret. I didn't start it 20 years earlier or even 30 years earlier. You're a young guy. There are refs I work with there. Greg is one, Donnie Wells. There are a million young guys who I work with who I say, I wish I started when I was your age. I, when I had children, I coached all my kids. Always coached all my kids in sports, in all their travel sports, their recreational sports, two boys and a girl. So I just really didn't think I had the time to officiate. I was too busy with that. Um, and my wife one day said, you know, you'd be a good sports official. You should do it. And that's about the same time all my kids outgrew the leagues that I was coaching. And I was looking to make extra money like anybody else. And I said, you know what, I'm going to inquire. First, I did baseball, and I got certified in 2010. And I started doing baseball. Enjoyed it immensely. 2012, I took a basketball class in Board 41, passed it, and started doing games right away. Initially started doing games right away for CYL because I was well connected with them, having coached their leagues for over 12 years. And then got introduced to Jim Fox at Island Garden, which has so much basketball, it was mind-boggling. Good quality basketball, lots of it. And that's where I met most of the people, such as yourself, and a lot of others who I remain very close friends with. And uh, that's how I got into basketball, and I have a love of the game. Officiating, to me, is enjoyable. It's work. It's hard work, but I absolutely love it and um, enjoy the game immensely and enjoy being with a partner, and basically we're controlling that game. We are on everything in that game, and you have to keep your mind sharp, and um, it's a very enjoyable experience that I still to this day enjoy doing, will enjoy doing hopefully for the next 20 years. What made you, um, well, rather... You first did baseball, and you said 2010 you started that. And then two years after, mm -hmm. you started doing basketball. Now, um, what I wanted to think about is that how did what led you to the transition of thinking about starting uh, basketball? Um, was it like somebody spoke to you and said, there's no, um, there's a time limit, it's going to be faster, it's indoors, you can do it in the winter? No, I was, no the reason I... With basketball, I started doing PAL basketball in Plainview, which you did not need to be certified for. Okay, so you got a little taste of it beforehand. Games. Yeah, I started doing a couple games for PAL basketball. A very good friend of mine, Gary Botner, was like commissioner of the league, and he says, you know what? He used to coach with me. He goes, if you want a ref, we could use more adult refs. And uh, I used to coach the league, and I said, sure, I I'd love to. Let me see how I like it. And I liked it. And a friend of mine, Ron Trowley, actually, very good guy. I just met him. Yeah, he's a very good guy. He doesn't do well in guards. There's a lot of CYO. And um, he refed in this Plainview League with me. And he said, Barry, you should get certified. You'll get a lot more work. Um, you know, you seem to enjoy it and you're good at it. There's a, there's a board I'm on called Board 41. There's a class given every September. This is right after that in 2011. So I had to wait till 2012 now to take the class, which I did um, with uh, Don Landolfi and um, Jimmy Graham and uh, took the class, took the floor test, passed, 
went right into it, full throttle. And um, I remember my first time I took a game was with CYOs, the first league I started with. And the assigner there said, well, you know, let me give you a couple games, you know, see if you like it. Not everybody loves it. Right away, I was hooked. Mm. I couldn't get enough games. I enjoyed it. It's not only great exercise, but I love being around the game. I just crave it. I love I love, I love kids. I love youth basketball. And it's evolved into adult leagues as well. Um, but um, anything about the game I love. So I was hooked on it from the moment I started. Yeah, I find all the top guys that I've spoken to, Steve Kaufman, Terry, uh, you, me, Washington, we're all <laughs> the, the same principle, uh, the same attribute that we all possess is that we're addicted to it. And I think we're addicted to it because of just the overall aspects of it, the thinking, the physical, the intensity. I think, uh, you know, I have that same craving as you do. So uh, it's really difficult for me to explain that the reason why I do it when you're not an official. And hopefully uh, these podcasts and my website is sheds light on why we love doing it. And yes, I, I, I agree more. Um, I share the same type of passion. Now, um, if you had to rank the sports that you did at the time, once you still got a, a real taste of basketball, would you say that you liked it a lot more than baseball or you can't compare the two and you like both of them equally the same? Cannot compare the two. I like them both maybe equally the same. Let's put it this way. Basketball is an action, fast-paced game. Back and forth. The game moves. Exciting. Great passes. An alley-oop pass. A kid doing a crossover. Um, you know, those types of things. Are the kids doing a Euro step? Was it a travel? Was it not a travel? Is there a contact? Did the kid throw his shoulder into him? There's a lot of things in basketball that you have to watch very carefully to see what, how, how the game's going to be officiated based upon how the game's being played. Um, baseball is a much slower, methodical game. If you're umpiring, you're looking at the strike zone. If you're in the field, you're looking for the play at the base, looking for the pop of the glove. Did that happen before the play at the base? Very different. Very, very different. Um, so I love both. Basketball probably is my first love because, first of all, it was always year-round where um, I started doing it in, in Plainview, Long Island, 12 months a year. Um, weather does not affect the game, so the game's always on. Baseball was more limited. To me, I was doing it maybe six months a year. And, of course, weather dictates a lot of the action that's going to happen. So basketball was always a, a, probably a first love of mine, just the pace of the game. It's up and down, up and down, sometimes nonstop. Which, which I happen to love. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say for myself, I don't know if I've told you, I'm trying to elevate to be a college baseball official, believe it or not. Um, I realize that it doesn't conflict between my, um, my, my trajectory for basketball. And I guess out of all of the guests that I've had so far, I share that same passion of equally enjoying both. Obviously, basketball is my bread and butter. It'll continue to be my bread and butter. But for some reason... I don't know what it is about baseball, but it's such a great relief of basketball. And it makes me feel as though I'm never going to be burned out by doing both of them, you know, kind of just like filling in for one after the other. And I know, I know sometimes you've, uh, you decided to do baseball games over basketball. Um, do you feel the same way that it, it fills another side of your brain that you can't get in, in basketball? Absolutely. And also you don't want to burn out. 
you know, I think I was working with you in a tournament. I said, Ralph, I'm going to do some baseball coming up. I remember that. Summer. But it wasn't, it wasn't the 90-degree days. It was more like 75, 80. Very enjoyable to be outside. So on a nice day, not too, not, not too hot, not like in the 40s and 50s, a nice day back in the Northeast, 60, 70 degrees, to be outdoors doing a baseball game, I love that. Um, the outdoor atmosphere was nice. Um, again, it's the variation of changing the pace from basketball to baseball was very important to me because if you just do something too much, sometimes you get burnt out from it. So change in pace a little bit. And there are many times, Ralph, I did both the same day. Me too. Quite often in the summer, in the fall, I give my mornings for one sport and my afternoons slash evenings for the other sport. So a lot of times I would do the baseball early on in the summer. And then I give myself a lot of availability in the afternoons to do basketball. I love that. I do both on the same day. What a great day. Yeah, and, and even, even me. I've, I've done a flag football game, a baseball game, and a basketball all on the same day as well. You, just... you are amazing. You come to Island Garden and you have done six flag football games before you even got there. Yeah, but that... You got me into flag football because you and Terry Twybell uh, talked about flag all the time. And said it's a great game to do. You had you had such excitement about you about you when you said it. I said I'd love to get the flag, but I had no time between the basketball I was doing alone, throwing the baseball. I had no time for anything else. Now coming down to Florida, it's not as busy, but there's still plenty of basketball that I'm doing already, mm-hmm. and I'm getting into baseball, which is starting up next week here because. Of course, in Florida, the weather is beautiful, and they start much earlier. But the guy, one of the one of the guys who I'm working with, does a lot of flag football. And he said, "Do you do it?" I said, "Absolutely." So, my good friend Ralph, who I'm talking to, sent me a lot of uh, information about flag officiating, which I've read up on, and uh, I've been talking to some uh, other officials. So, I'll pick up on a lot of things very quickly. And I used to coach flag football with my kids, so I do understand the basics of the game. And that's great. So that's great that you could bring it up. It's, yeah. it's a fun game. It's a fast-paced game. It's an action game. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, um, the NFL is promoting it heavily because of the concussion protocol, and um, they're saying the decline of the NFL, even though the ratings did go up this year. Uh, but there is a big surge in flag football because now um, you could play it co-ed. Um, it's obviously less violent. Even the New York Times, I'd say about two months ago, they had this big uh, Sunday piece about Drew Brees, and he's supporting his kids and coaching his kids in flag football in the Louisiana area. And it's obviously a growing sport because it, it takes the elements of basketball and takes out the violence of football, and it makes it a kind of a beautiful sport. And, in fact, it's a, a, it's a high school-sanctioned sport in PSAL in, in the city. So you could find on a high school team in the fall, it's a real sport for boys and girls if they wanted to be a varsity flag football player. So that's really cool to see. The popularity explode, especially when I started before that was even a thought. Um, but what I did want to speak to you about now is that um, I know for one thing, when it comes to being in New York, this is kind of like the mecca of basketball. All the really good games that I've done, you know, are in Manhattan, the other four boroughs, um, and of course Nassau County. There's a lot of great games locally for me, and I just guess over the years I've been able to build such a great network where I'm gainfully employed throughout the whole year. 
Um, how difficult was that and how much of a factor did that play into you moving into Florida uh, when you knew that you basically had to start over from scratch? What was your plan and how did you execute it to get games? Well, it scared me a lot. Of course, here I am, you know, getting everything I want. I have all the contacts I need. I had so much work that it was even turning away people uh, who asked me to do other leagues for them. I just didn't have the time. Can't be in two places at once. So it did worry me. Here I am coming. Now I have to make all new contacts. No one knows me. And, um, you know, you have to prove yourself every game you do regardless. But when you don't know anybody, it's a whole different story. So what I did was I reached out to a, a first place I went to was in Jupiter, and they have what's called the Jupiter Community Center. And I went there. This is what I was thinking of moving down here. And I asked, hey, get your basketball specials for your leagues. They gave me a contact. I right away emailed him and said, I'm moving down there probably the end of this year. And I'm a basketball official. And he said, when you get down here, contact me. I do have some leagues. That was the start. That's the gentleman who does not just basketball, but softball, baseball, and play football. Okay, so you killed five birds with one stone is what you're saying to me. Yes, but it's unlike in Nassau County where I was, where I had Island Gardens, Jim Fox. I had CYO, Elaine. Um, I had an adult league. Uh, this guy, Steve Ross, would give me games for Long Island Hoops. Uh, PAL locally, uh, Gary Bachner, who I mentioned before, would give me games. I had contacts, and they were all in those leagues. Here, I went to the first meeting. It's called ECBOA here, East Coast Basketball Official Association. And uh, that's the organization that's like a board 41 here in South Florida. And I went to the meeting, and I asked, um, I went up to somebody, and I said, how do you get all these outside leagues? Well, he gave me several names of people. Very nice gentleman. I even forgot his name. But he gave me a lot of names of people to contact, and he sent me all their contact info. And right away, I shot him all text messages, um, who I am, where I've worked. I'm looking to get into leagues. Let me know if you need help. And I've gotten several responses already, and basically I've gotten to do a lot of games from that. Right. So this, uh, to me, this is like a really important uh, thing to just discuss because um, I've always been afraid that, you know, maybe one day I might move to Alaska and I have no idea how to start doing that. But it just goes to show that I, I know for me, when I first started doing basketball, that was my third sport. And even when I did f uh, flag football and adult softball, um, I knew nobody. I, I basically had to figure everything out. But it seems like the common denominator is that you have to be proactive in anything you want to do, right? So um, closed mouths don't get fed. And if you don't say anything, you probably won't get any assignments. But if you're proactive and it goes to show uh, the tenacity and the aggressiveness of that you're serious of wanting to officiate, chances are you will get fed. And I don't know. That makes me feel like maybe one day I will move. I don't know. Not today, though. <laughs> If you're proactive, Ralph, yes. Like, uh, if, if I didn't have these contacts that I that I gained at that basketball meeting, what I would have done is gone into various gyms and seen if there was a game and talked to the officials after a game's over. Hey, who assigns you? Any way I can, you know, find that information so I can get on that group, I can contact that person. I didn't have to do that because going to the meeting, I got a lot of, I, 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 I networked myself and I got a lot of names. 
But baseball, I got a lot of names of assigners through someone who I did a basketball game with who said he does a lot of baseball, and he gave me a lot of bas- baseball and softball contacts, of which I'm hooked up with already. And I'm going to various clinics with these baseball and softball people coming up the next week or two. So another way to do that would be go to a baseball field, which there are many around here. You have Jupiter near me. You have where the Nationals and Astros train, which is 10 minutes from my house. You have the Cardinals and Marlins who train in Roger Dean Stadium right near me, not about 20 minutes away. You go to field, you see games going on, you see umpires, and you ask, you talk to them. So you have to be proactive. You can't be afraid to talk to people. You have to talk to people with confidence, and you have to be aggressive. Right, and you do that, and if you do that, you will get the names of people, and that's just one step. Now, why should they use you? They don't know you from a hole in the wall. Fortunately for me, Jim Fox wrote me an outstanding letter recommendation um, from Island Garden, which I I believe might have helped me. Certainly did not hurt me in showing people that I was legit. But once you, once someone gives you a chance, regardless. You're a nobody. You have to get out there and show that you know what you're doing. And then if that happens, they'll continue to use you and they'll circulate your name around. Right. And in turn, um, I guess if the shoe was on the other foot, that's that's why the reason the way I am, I'm very generous with my information, especially with people that have come after me. Um, I'm never one to shy away because I'm very secure in my uh, position and ability. Um, so that's I think that's a good lesson to learn because – you know, some of this business, a lot of people are very close minded and territorial because they think that you're going to take their spot, especially like when it comes to adult leagues or um, people get very competitive when it comes to trying to do the most amount of games. And obviously me and you fall under that category. But I think it's safe to say, as Barry mentioned, um, there's there's just too many games to be around. I'll give you a perfect example. You know how CYO, they probably serve as 70,000 games within the months of November to February. I haven't done one CYO game yet. And I haven't done CYO in two years. And trust me, I'm I'm turning down people every single day. And I haven't even had to dip into CYO. And that's my personal choice because I'm at the point where I want to elevate and I want to make sure that I'm doing the best quality games for myself aside from the pay grade. Um, but like I said, I don't think those things are possible when you have an official that looks down on people that have come after them or is very territorial and insecure with their spot. So I think it's very important that you always become generous with your information because I think that's one of those karma type things in officiating that, you know, you're, you're, you're not necessarily uh, building a bridge, you're burning a bridge. And you might even be burning a bridge that is, you didn't even realize it's a bridge. And that's why I think it's always important to be very respectful and very generous and very kind to your fellow officials because I think that's a very important aspect aside and outside of being an official. You agree with that, right? 100%. James Washington, my good buddy who I miss tremendously, always has one team, one fight. He says that, and he's right. We're, we're a brotherhood, and if I could help someone and expand their um, horizons of giving them more information so they could get more work, I will always do that, and if I feel that's going to infringe on my getting assignments because now there's another person that needs to get fed, that's that'd be a very narrow-minded insecure insecurity on my part. There's enough to go around for everybody, Ralph. As we see anywhere, especially where I was working in Long Island, there is enough to go around for everybody and then some. So 
any way I can help somebody out, give them contact information, try and get them to expand to other leagues, um, I will always do that and help people, without a doubt. People did it for me, and I will always do it for others, without a doubt. Um, we're brotherhood, and, uh, you know, officials are a different kind of breed. We can talk about the game in a different way than we can discuss it with other people. Because we know what we're looking for. We know how to, how to control the game. Big part of officiating is how to manage the game, how to control the game, how to deal with coaches who can be a little, sometimes maybe a little belligerent on the sideline, how to talk to them when they have a question to ask, which I always felt we should answer. We have to have a dialogue. There's nothing wrong with it. That's part of officiating is communication. And, um, you know, I learned that working with you, with James, Terry, Brian Johnson, uh, go on and on, my good buddies, and um, who are top referees. And I learned a lot by watching these guys talk to coaches. If they have a question, not dismissing them. And the referees, we all have a brotherhood. We, we, we talk about these things. And that just makes us better officials, too. And forms a really common bond, which I which I happen to love. Yeah, and and even to your point, when you had the group text of saying that uh, we can we stay in touch, you know, a lot of people say that we stay in touch, and we've talked quite a quite a bit since we probably have talked more since you've been you moved, <laughs> right? Uh, absolutely, I didn't text you much at all when I was there. I figured I'd see you when I worked. There. Yep. And I'll guard eventually. I would get Ralph on my arbiter, and I'd see, I'd say, and I'd text you, "Hey, brother." I'm with you Friday to three at six, seven, and eight. See you then, mm-hmm. and that'd be it. You would always right. beat me with the first contact because I normally beat everybody when saying that. Hey, I'm working with yeah. you. Yeah, well, especially when I saw someone like you, Terry, Brian, James. There's a bunch of others. If I leave someone out, and so I don't mean to, but there's there's a, there's a lot of others on that chat. And if I see I was working with you, I'd right, right away reach out and say, Hey, I'm with you. You know, looking forward to it. So, you know, no matter who you're with, it's great. But when you're with someone you know and you've worked with before, it's a big advantage because when you work with someone, work, knowing their style, where they're going to be looking, what, what, what they do makes your job easier because you're a team. And working together does make it easier. If you ever work with somebody, that's fine too. You have to form that bond. That comes within time. 100%. Um, I did want to speak on the uh, disparity or the differences between um, the pay grade in Florida versus New York. Is it comparable? Is the level of no. competition the same? No. no. <laughs> like not at all? No. No. Okay. It's is, is it like, like a New fraction York. of it? No, not a fraction. All I can say is New York referees do not complain. Uh, we get New York referees get paid very well. I know what they get paid for varsity, JV, CYO, Island Garden. Everyone has their own little pay grade, and um, it, it's, it's definitely less here. It, but that's going to be anywhere. New York is always going to be more money, Ralph. Mm. It's just a different way of living. But at the same so, time, the quality, the the you can live off of a lot less, right, in Florida? Oh, of course. Okay, of so course. it kind of evens out. Everything is relative, Ralph. My cost of living is going to be a lot less here, being that I sold my house in Long Island, and I could buy something down here for an incredibly amount less than I ever could there. So that's a big factor into everything, without a doubt. 
So everything is relative to what you're making. If I never knew what I was making in New York as a ref, I think this is commonplace. But New York pays well because of the cost of living. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Um, so let's describe your, uh, I'd say, your worst experiences refing. It could be basketball. It could be baseball. It could be flag full. T- tell me about um, a sticky situation that you dealt with. Oh, I have a good one for you. Mike Mayer, my friend Mike Mayer. Who got me into baseball. Uh, no, Mike, no, he did. Okay, Mike Mayer, um, I worked with in an umpire group for many years. And Mike Mayer and I were doing a game at Island Garden. And uh, we're doing a game, and it's a very physical game between one of the teams was the Gauchos, which you happen to know, right? Of course. And um, very intense. And there's a gentleman standing at the far end of the basket at Island Garden, and um, he shouldn't be there because it was not where the, the people normally sit. It's at the other end on court one. He's not by the glass. He's by the end basket. And they had one coach. And we didn't say anything initially, Mike or I, when he started questioning things, any calls that were made, we would... We went to the coach. I think Mike did actually flatly went to the coach, but he was right there and said, Coach, you need to have that parent uh, not in that area. And uh, I think he was very hesitant to do that. He was by himself. And I think he got the impression was that whatever I say to this gentleman will not make a difference. So we we let it go on a little bit. And um, he didn't open his mouth for a while, so everything was good. A play happened. And uh, he didn't like a non-call, and it was, had to have been his child that was in the situation. And um, at the end of the game, his team lost by two points. Now, to get further involved in what happened, we assessed eventually a bench technical on this team because the coach could not control this parent. We warned him first. We said, you have to remove, you have to have a move. It's your job. This is one of your parents. Okay? You have to have him out of there. You have to remove him from where he is. He couldn't or wouldn't do it. And when he opened his mouth again, we assessed the technical foul on the bench, on the coach. And when the team lost by two points, his parent approached, went over on court one, approached Mike and I, and screamed at us said, how dare you assess me a technical foul? Right away, we backed off and said, the game's over, sir. And we were telling the coach, the coach of that team, that the technical foul was directed towards him as a bench technical. He knew that. Everything was fine. He didn't like that we were not answering his question right to his face. I mean, the game is over. Have a nice day, sir. Have a good day. Get home safe. Very polite, very professional. He got up in Mike Mayer and my face, especially Mike's face, and said, don't you ever dismiss me when I talk to you. Now, this happened to be a former professional football player whose name I would hold. But a big guy. He's six, probably 6'7", six, 325. He could stop both yeah. of you. Yeah. <laughs> and it was very scary. And um, right in Mike's face and... We right away two referees, Steve Thorne and James Washington, who were coming on to relieve us because our shift was over. They won the next games, helped 
come right in, and Steve right away said, look, if you don't leave, sir, we have to call 911. Wow. And he eventually left. Mike and I stayed there for a while till he was gone, then we left. Um, it was a very scary situation because you're being confronted by someone on the court who's right in your face, who's a lot bigger than you. And um, we dealt with it, I thought, very well, Mike and I. We were calm. We didn't just turn away. We said the game's over, sir. We just didn't dismiss him. We just, there was no, there was no need to further a conversation, if anything. And, but it was a scary situation. That would be my most, my scariest situation I've ever had. In mm. Okay, so he didn't, he didn't give you a sack, right? He didn't sack you on the ground? No sack. This gentleman has since been a coach now. Of course. Of, of a team. And I've seen him many times. And I've never had a problem with him since then. Um, but that day, as a parent that he was that day, and that he came on the court and got right in our face, the way he was, pointing as a very big person, was very, was very intimidating. Mm. Yes, it was scary. No question. Yeah, well, I, I often find that professional athletes especially uh, former professional uh, athletes that transition to being a parent and are outside of the particular arena that they normally were in. You got to think about it like this, Barry. We're so used to uh, officiating amateurs, right? So when it comes to the professional ranks, you got to think of them as, for instance, if you and I were in the NBA and we're doing a game, Warriors versus Celtics or whatever, imagine Draymond Green coming at us and asking about a call. That guy makes, what, $20 million? Yeah. He doesn't care about us. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? So the way they look at it is much different than an amateur or anybody that's, you know, that's not a professional athlete because professional athletes probably always feel that they can speak to the ref like that because we're peons compared to them, right? 100% correct. And also, we're replaceable. Think about a Draymond Green situation. People come to watch Draymond Green. They don't come to watch us. Mm-hmm. So we're we're replaceable. We're little peons in that in that situation. If something if someone doesn't like us, they could replace us in two seconds. There are many referees who would love to be at that level. Yeah, who are dying to get to that level. Who you can be replaced with. So you have to. You're walking a fine line there, um, in terms of being a referee, especially with a Draymond Green type thing in the NBA. The fishing that we do, we do a lot of high school. We do a lot of high-level AAU, AAU season, which I'm going to miss back in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Runs, what, March, April, May, into June. It's coming. And you get, yeah, you get very competitive games. You get coaches who coach multiple teams, which we all know. And I, I know these coaches very well all the years I was doing it. You see the same coaches over and over. Some can get very intense. I know, you know their styles after a while. So, you know, a lot of times you can't have rabbit ears. You can't hear everything that they're saying. Just do your job and don't let that ever get in your head. If you ever need to talk to a coach and explain something, do so in a professional way. And one of your referee things that I read, Ralph, that you said, which is fabulous, is about how patience is very important. Patience. Don't say anything. Walk away. Absorb what's going on, and just relax. 
and everything will be fine. Don't come back at someone right away with something. It's only going to add fuel to the fire. You don't want to pour gasoline on the fire. Yeah, and I was going to say that that first game when when I really had the, the deep bond with you, I remember how you handled when everything was getting crazy. You were very, you know, you just were ready for the moment. You were very calm in chaos, and that's that's always the big thing where I start bonding with people when we have something very intense, and then you know shit hits the fan. And I'm looking for somebody to become because, you know, sometimes you and I are always, you know, as as people come and go at Island Garden, you remember we there's, you know, the top 20 guys and then there's the guys that are filling in or starting out and they may or may not work. And then we got to handle it. We got to handle it by ourselves because we know how to handle it. And, you know, sometimes they don't know how to do that and they don't have that direction. So, you know, that's something that I always appreciated from you. I don't know if I've told you that, but. You know, I've always appreciated going to battle with somebody that has the same gladiator mentality as as I do, and that you will never back down and, and probably never will, right? We'll never back down. We'll always be calm in the face of a storm. Also, I learned a lot from people like you, Terry Tribell, James Washington, a big person with that. I miss James a lot. Would handle things in a certain way, in a calm way, but yet a very effective way. And you watch people like that, and that you take notes. You watch that. You watch how they diffuse a situation that can be very volatile, but yet you see how they diffused it. And I learned a lot from people like that and many others when I first got into officiating, especially doing – look, when you start doing some major AU games, it's a lot different than doing a Super League. Oh, yeah. Or doing a CYO game. Now you're doing something that people put a different stamp on whole different ball game. Uh, the climate of the game is different. You have to know how to deal with things. And let's face it, the, the, the craziest people in all these can be the parents. Mm-hmm. And when you have these AU games, they're lined up along the side. They want blood. Most of them don't even know what they're talking about. They're screaming. Um, I had one I'll never forget screaming when a kid was uh, dribbling the ball. He lost control of the ball, batted the ball, and... Someone screamed and lost control of the ball. I apologize. And people are screaming for a travel. While there can be no travel if it's an interrupted dribble, there's no player control on an interrupted dribble. Therefore, there can be no travel. Correct? Mm. Yeah. And people screaming for things that they have no idea what they're screaming about. Right. And the worst thing to do is to talk, go back into that parent and say, "This is not a travel, sir. Ignore them." Parent, you don't. I, I don't ever talk to parents ever. If a coach had that question, I'd explain it to the coach, and that would be that. If the coach didn't understand that or would keep going on, I'd have to tee them up at that point. At that point. And I've had to do that. But always, usually I always would try to explain something, uh, give a warning before I had to resort to that. But there are many times I've had to do that, without a doubt. But you have to remain calm in the face of the storm. And the storm, a lot of times, originates from the spectators, without a doubt. Yeah, and I, I even I, I never I never mentioned this to you, but I I uh, gave this words of wisdom to Terry, and trust me, I appreciate that you guys think of me that way. That uh, you can get wisdom from a younger person that that makes me um, that makes me feel good. But you know, my style has uh, developed because of my young my youthful look. Um, I always wanted to make sure that I came out strong because I didn't want them to say, you know, what this guy's a young guy, he doesn't know what he's doing. I always wanted to compensate that by being strong 
being uh, proficient in what I was doing and making correct calls. But what I was mentioning to Terry is that, you know, when parents get out of line and they get crazy, what I like to do is I try to envision them officiating this game on right now. And then I, I try to think of them being, they have, would have no idea what to do. And that's what always keeps me calm. Cause I'm like, Oh, you see that lady that's upset about her kid. And I uh, just called a foul on imagine her refing this game right now. She'd be so lost. So you know what? I'm not going to be so upset. It's her kid. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't. It doesn't even upset me. Yeah, me neither. It really doesn't. But the to do is to start now talking that that parent because you know what happens if you do that. Now they have your ear. Yeah. You don't want them to have your ear because now they know they can keep talking to you. Mm-hmm. If you don't respond to a parent, eventually the parent's going to stop talking to you. Yeah, it's um, it's like a scab. It's it, the scab is there. And you could scratch it, and then it could reopen the wound, and then it could rescab up, or you could just let it go, and it'll be gone. Same thing when you're doing a game with kids. You know, uh, I'm doing a seventh grade game. I will, t- I, as I t- I'll tell the kid very politely, I'm not going to, I talk to the coach. If the coach has a question, fine. If the kid has a question, and within reason, I'll answer it, absolutely. Um, but if we talk to coaches, and keep it at that, that's better for us. We have communication with a head coach. We don't need to have communication with the assistant coach. He's sitting down, the head coach in each team. We know who they are. We can have communication with them. Obviously, the table is our ally. We need to always have very good communication with our table. They're part of our team. But if you have good, effective communication with the coaches, your game will run smoothly, Okay. If they can be belligerent and you can't control them, well, sometimes you have to do something to do that. But if you effectively communicate with coaches, sort of learning how to talk them off the ledge, you know, we've had one like that. I'll use Nick. You know, we all know Nick of the Heat, right? I think everyone if knows you. If um, you have a situation where you see he's about to explode, you see his head's going to explode on something they doesn't like, Nick, you talk him off the ledge, calm him down might be effective to you officiating that game. Mm-hmm. Okay? You do that within reason, not all game, but sometimes if you do that, it'll make your game easier to officiate, which is important. 100%. So, describe one of your best experiences officiating any sport. Uh, if, you, if you had one standout story. I, I, I like uh, my story would be a baseball game. Like I was doing the plate in a championship game with uh, 11-year-olds. And I remember a two-man game and I was doing the plate. It was a one nothing game. And we all knew by the pitching, one, one, run, one run would win it. And it came in the top of the uh, last inning. So now the home team's up. And these pitchers are going the distance. Six-inning game. But they saw a lot of pitches. Game over and now in 20, now with 30 minutes. Wow. It was wonderful. But it was a call strike three to end the game. Mm. You know, the kid took one right in the outside corner and people going crazy. The kid, I felt bad for the kid. Of course, the kid looked at a good bet. She knew it too, you know, but it is what it is. But it was a very intense moment. And I, I enjoyed that moment because I'm behind the plate. I'm the call. He's taking the pitch. He swung and missed. I, there's nothing for me to do, right? Yeah. But he took the pitch. And I think it was a full count. 
I, I think there's maybe a man on base due to a walk, could have put first and second on. And I, I ended that game. I ended that game on the correct call. No one argued with it. Even the batters knew it. The, his coach knew it. But it was, it was, it was exciting. The thrill of that particular second is what I love about baseball in general. It's that baseball, you can almost pause the game. That's the play that happens right there. Every eye is on that pitch. The batter stepped out. The pitcher stepped off the rubber all before that last pitch, the full count pitch. So and there was a lot to that pitch. The batter then asked for time when he went back in the batter's box. So that last pitch probably took a good 30 seconds, which I don't mind. It's fun. It was intense. I knew I had to be on that pitch. That pitch was going to determine a lot if he didn't swing. So that, to me, of all the things I did, was the most exciting thing I ever did. And the exuberance that these kids have. The younger the kids, you know, Ralph, the more exuberant and more excited they yes. are. And it was an 11-year-old game, very well-played 11-year-old game. These, all these kids can feel, they can hit, they can do everything. And I love the nuances of baseball, like I do in basketball. I love the bunting, the stealing, hit and run, pitch out, all those things. I love that baseball. Yeah, and you know, uh, trying to see, trying to see, you know, what I'm doing the field, watching the pitcher, see if he's going to try and throw over to first because now he threw over and now the runner in first is going to get a few extra steps because he knew he can get back. Now I'm going to take a few extra steps so I get a bigger lead so I can steal second on the next pitch. You know, things like that. So maybe the pitcher will be a little affected by that. They'll flinch his shoulder, which is a balk. We've I've had that, which is, makes the whole game exciting, which is what I love about baseball. A whole different animal than basketball. Absolutely. I, I would those um man, those pitchers duels, those are just as good as a lead lead changes back and forth in a basketball game oh, with dunks all over it. the place. I, I love it. And in baseball, either it's different than basketball, baseball, he's either out of restate. Simple as that when you're in the field, you missed it or you got it right. Mm. Basketball, it's the correct call and the incorrect call, but a lot of the calls in basketball aren't a judgment to a degree. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the the field, there's more judgment. margin of error, yeah. But the plate is, behind right. the plate is, and, and you know, your, your, your strike zone is going to vary based on the ability of the kid. I mean, if you have an 11-year-old that can't get it over the plate, then, I mean, our strike zone is obviously going to be wider, right? But... If you got a kid that's painting the quarter, and you got the other kid that has breaking stuff already, I mean it's it's going to be something that you're going to be calling a lot tighter. So that's also judgment as well. Um, but yeah, I that's controlling a game. Because yeah. if you're doing a good 15, 16 year old game, like you're doing college or high school, you know the strike zone is what it is. Mm-hmm. You're not going to expand on that when you're doing a little league game or a twelve year old game, even that's not a high level game. You know what? You're going to give them a little extra. And that's okay. As long as you're consistent with it, no one has a problem. Mm-hmm. So the final two questions. Part of the beauty of the game. The yep. final two questions that I had for you. Um, you're obviously a very successful ref, and you've done it in two states. Um, what did it take for you to get to where you are now? I would say that learning how to refine how I do things by watching others observing other officials, not just to partner them with, but watching games. Because I've coached a lot of years, and I've always watched officials. 
and I watch competitive basketball and baseball. So you see umpires, you see officials, watch their styles, try and um, mesh that with what you do, take a little from each person, maybe. And what makes you a better official is learning from your mistakes. None of us are perfect. We can make mistakes even going forward. We all make mistakes. You try to limit them, and you try and learn from them. And the key thing is, I think, to officiating is slow down. Don't be in a rush to make a call. Don't anticipate. When I first started repping basketball, I anticipated a travel. There never was a travel. Mm. And I called the travel, and I knew it. And I felt like I felt stupid because I anticipated something that never happened. Don't anticipate. Timing is everything. I learned that a lot in baseball. Oh, when you make balls and strikes, safe and outs, and a real banger at first base, it's all timing. And wait a second. Wait a second. Absorb the play. Take a picture of it in your in your brain right away, and take your time and make the then make the call. Make it said right away. But don't anticipate it. Don't make it call too fast. Timing is everything, not just in baseball, but in basketball. Okay? Dissect the play in your head. Someone driving for a layup. The defender has his hands straight up. There's contact. There's no foul on the defender. He has his hands straight up. Contact does not always mean foul in basketball, right, Ralph? I agree. I agree. There's a lot, a lot of times there can be contact without a foul. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn how to deal with that. Coaches will be screaming, there's contact. There's got to be something there. There's got to be something there. Well, there's really nothing there to call. Yeah, and how come they never advocate for the other team when it happens to them? It's weird, right? <laughs> well, it's part of, you know, it's fun. I'll tell you a quick story. you have time for this one? I have all the time. This podcast is unlimited. My buddy Jake Washington, again, I love. What's up, killer? We're doing a fifth-grade girls game. Mm-hmm. And the girls, you probably call travel in every place. And the coach... James will remember this well. Alan Garden caught one. The coach is screaming only for his team. Hey, a travel. That's a travel. That's a travel. And when his team has the ball and the girls are doing it, of course, he's quiet. So we're calling several travels as it is, but we're not calling every single travel. And he keeps screaming every time he loses the ball to the other team. And now the other team has the ball, and he keeps asking for a travel on every, every play. And during a timeout, James initiated this. He said, Barry, come here. Come here, Barry. Let's go. Coaches, let's get over here. Come on. His little Senate hearing, right? He said, coaches, look, this is called discretionary development. Great term, discretionary development. I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that. And he said, coaches, you want us to call every travel that we see? We will do that. Every play will be a travel. We'll be here for two hours. Do you want us to do that? No, 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 please. We don't want that. We want to have a good flow of the game. I said, well, look, coaches, let us control the game. We will call the obvious. We will definitely call the obvious. When a girl is 40 feet from the basket and she shuffles a little bit, we're not going to sit there and call everything. It's not an advantage situation. She's not creating an advantage by doing that. We know that. So we're going to call the obvious. Let us do it that way. We'll be consistent with both teams. And they agree. And, you know, they agree because the coach of one team, James Kinley, said, I only hear you talk when the other team has the ball. How come when your girls have the ball, you're not asking for a travel on your own team? Well, obviously, he's not going to. So he laughed. He 
sort of laughed at himself. He goes, I get what you're saying, guys. So from that moment on, discretionary development, we want to, we want to teach the girls a little bit. We want the game to be fun for them. Mm. We to travel every two seconds, and the game went on from there without a problem. It was actually a well-played game, a nice game, and we were consistent with both teams and what we were going to let go because you have to look at the level of play and go from there. But it's about communication. I learned a lot from James with that stuff. A yeah, lot. that was so well too. Absolutely. With that, how to talk to people, how to talk to coaches, how to convey. Terry Twybell I learned a lot from. He's my age, I believe. And Terry, had we had a, um, a situation once where this guy's the Royals. They're the Royal travel team mm-hmm. in Allen Gardens. This big dude as a coach, huge guy, is screaming for everything. The other coach is screaming for everything. And Terry said, look, coaches, come here. He says, look, the kids are killing each other. Every play is a foul. He said, let's clean it up, okay? We've got to clean this game up, guys. We're going to call timeout or timeout. Go talk to your team. Go talk to your team. Clean this game up a little bit, okay? Otherwise, every every single play here is a foul. The kids are reaching on every play. There's, there's tremendous contact on every play. Come on. Tell them to clean it up a little bit, all right? Very effective move from that moment on. Hey, we still called a lot of fouls. There were a lot of fouls in that game, and we called them. But the game was cleaned up. It was cleaned up, and if it wasn't for that talk that Terry initiated, the game could have gotten out of hand. You don't want to get to get a game to get out of hand. If it gets out of hand, it's your fault. You let it get out of hand. So don't let it get out of hand. Nip it in the bud. Well, I'm going to use that 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 glossary term, uh, discretionary development. I like that a lot. Yeah, I can't. I'm plagiarizing. James Washington had that term. The final question that I wanted to ask you: What's it going to take to get to where you want to go? Meaning what? Meaning, okay, so now you're in Florida. You're, you're laying roots now. You're, you're relaying roots. Um, where do you want to take this officiating thing now? Nowhere. I want to just do it the way I'm doing it. I'm not looking, I'm not looking to get into college. I'm older than you, Ralph. You're a lot younger than me. I think you're 36. Come on. Um, stop. Don't, don't, don't reveal my age here. <laughs> you're a baby. You're a baby. And a lot of the young refs who are younger than you, who want to take this to the next level, I applaud that. Take it to the next level. Take it. If I started off when I was younger, I might have thought of that. If I started doing this in my 50s, 50 for baseball, 52 for basketball, I just want to keep doing it the way I'm doing it. I enjoy it. I don't consider it work. I get paid for it, but I don't consider it work. That's why I love it. I agree. I enjoy it. I love it. I enjoy it. I enjoy the camaraderie after the game. Um, outside Outside of a school game, I always shake the coach's hand. I a lot of times high-five the players afterwards. Not in a school game, but if you get out of there. Right. In a rec game, even, even a travel game, even AAU games, I do this. Unless they don't want to. That's fine. But I enjoy that. I enjoy the camaraderie of the game. After the game, it's a great game. We all shake hands. I love that. I love the level I'm doing right now. I love the camaraderie of the game, the parents, aside, the coaches, the kids, my partner, the other refs in the building. That's what I love about it, and that's all I'm looking to do is maintain what I'm doing now, not looking to go on to another level, just to hone my skills and be the best I can be every game. That's not to say you wouldn't uh, you, you wouldn't shy away from if they said, can you do a varsity game? You would do it, though, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, exactly. just making sure. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Because I know you still want to be left. good. You still want to do great well, games. Well Ralph, well, Ralph, when I left Sports 41, I got an email the day before I left. They didn't know I was leaving yet. And the letter said, 
that they want to observe me doing my JV games. Mm. Someone was, was someone someone's going to shadow watch me do a couple JV games. What's my schedule this year? And I assume I got that letter because maybe they were thinking of moving me up to varsity. Yeah, you were knocking on the door. Why would they send me that letter? That's a letter that other officials said they received when they got moved up. So I had to send an email back saying, unfortunately, uh, you know, I appreciate that email. My schedule is empty this year for BOCES because I am no longer going to be in Long Island. But thank you for the thoughts. That was it. But getting that email made me feel good. It made me feel that they wanted to watch me um, to see if I'm, I'm to see if I'm your level, Ralph. <laughs> Stop move it. To, the, to move up to the big boys. To move up <laughs> to the big boys. So you know, I'm doing that here. I'm doing everything here. I'm doing varsity, junior varsity, middle school, whatever they throw at me. I'm doing them all. Yeah, we'll say just uh, just a side note. I had a crazy game. Uh, I was I was with Andy Lubell, great official. We did Westbury yep. Hicksville yesterday. It was senior night. And um, it's 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 definitely a lot more serious than JV and middle school. It is, it is, oh it is every bit intense. It's every bit where intense. Was where, where, where was the game? It was at Hicksville High School, and it was it was probably the smoothest game I've ever done in the first half, and probably the most complicated game I've ever done in a second half because it went from three to four fouls. Um, I mean, I guess in a long story short, um, it was basically a per- the perfect game. It was. Three fouls on Hicksville, four fouls on Westbury. So the first half went, I don't know, 20 minutes. It went just like that. There was no timeouts, nothing. Right, no right. no static. Second half, Westbury started pulling away and started talking um, a lot of, there was a lot of taunting, a lot of, you know, subtle, subtle physicality. And it just got out of hand. It went from, you know. How, from, what happened? How did you guys handle it? How did you guys handle that? Well, it, a lot of the times the Westbury security just came right on the court. They, they just stopped it. And it's wow. one of those things where you, when, when you call a foul and the, you, you report, the other partner just stares at everyone like a, like a cop. You just, not, none of that's happening. So it, it was a lot of smoke. And it was, it was, I mean, it was a packed crowd. And it's just, it's crazy because, and, and I know you can relate, you do those middle school games and you do those JV games and like no one's there. And maybe, maybe the JV game is packed because the varsity game is about to happen, right? But Absolutely. it's a lot different when there's a PA announcer, there's a DJ, there's music, there's, you know, everything seems so much more intense. But at the same time, I do do varsity games in the city, so it's not really that big of a deal. <laughs> well, that's, that's a very tight gym. I yes. Know that gym is a very tight gym. Everyone's on top of each other. And I've done a lot of high-level AU games with you along the way. And some of those games are the same atmosphere. Absolutely. And you, and you know those games especially the championship-level games that I got a lot through Jim Fox at Allen Garden, which I was always very appreciative of getting. I got a lot of championship games with you with other people and tournaments. He put me on those games because he had confidence in me, mm-hmm. and I wanted to reward it by doing a great job. And I knew it was going to be that kind of game by the people in the stands, the intensity of the coaches. They knew they wanted that game, and it's not going to be an easy one. But that's what I love about it. That's fun. That makes you oh, yeah. in your skills. Bring your A game, which you should bring every day. But you know what I mean. Oh yeah, and I'll right, and and whoever emailed you, I I just wanted to say that um, you know now that I'm at that level, I I will definitely say that you 1,000 percent belong at that level. So I mean, if there's any validation that I can give you, is it is you know well uh, well deserved. I would say. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. But like you know what, my work will show how good I am. 
people see me working, they like what they see, and that's how you get more work. It's simple as that. Right, and at especially the same... when I'm proving myself, especially when I'm down here and no one yeah. sees me from a hole in the wall, mm -hmm. now I have to... Especially you get out there, you better do a good job. Right, but... Otherwise, I... who, is, who is this guy? Oh. Okay. You know what I'm saying? If I don't oh, do a good oh. job, who is, who is he? You know, who is this guy? Do you do a good job? They recognize that. And now they want you back, and they also give your name out to other people. That's how you network yourself. Right, and, and, and to further the Jim Fox recommendation letter, now you can sh plug them into this link of the podcast, and you could show how much passion you have of sports, how much passion you have of the camaraderie of your fellow officials, and how much you deeply care about the seriousness of the business that we're in. So uh, for everyone, I, I just want to say thank you for your time, um, your 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 passion of the game, your your passion of officiating has definitely resonated through this whole recording. Um, and I look forward to seeing what happens with you in the future. And we'll definitely stay in touch, uh, probably in perpetuity. <laughs> you got it, buddy. It was a pleasure. Enjoyed it immensely. All right. So this is for Barry Getzoff. This is Ralph the Ref. I'm signing out.